Hello, and welcome to The Podcast, a positive conversation about dogs and the people who love them. I am your co-host, Jean. And I'm your co-host, Karen. And we have a special guest with us today, Karen. I know I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, I am too, Jean. We have um, a gentleman by the name of James Hayworth, who is the executive director of the PAL program, People animals love. And they do a lot of amazing things for um, pet owners and for pets. But one thing that caught my eye was um, a program that they do around literacy, where kids get to read to dogs. And I'll let James talk about it more, but they've had to modify their program a little bit, like we all have, to where Zoom has come into play. And I actually saw a clip of his program on our local NBC affiliate, went to their website and it said, if you'd like to contact us, send an email or for faster response, text us. So I texted James over the weekend and here he is. And I'm very excited to to chat with him more about this great program because there's nothing better than kids and pets and literacy, right? The foundation of all things good. And it's nice to talk about good things at a time that's very difficult, right? All, all positive. All positive. James, tell us about the, your organization and start wherever you like, if you'd like to talk about how, maybe how it got started uh, and, and then get into what, what you do. Sounds good. Thank you, Jean. Thank you, Karen. Well, PAL is almost 40 years old and um, started by a beloved veterinarian in Northwest DC, Dr. Earl Strimple. And he started the program um, in in its earliest days, it was bringing dogs into a hospice uh, facility here in DC and also did some programs at Lorton Prison. We used to have a federal prison out in the Virginia suburbs. Um, And he had an awesome program with death row inmates and feral cats. And just an opportunity for the inmates to show and receive compassion and love from another creature, you know, something that is probably in short supply in a prison environment. And, um, you know, today bringing dogs into hospice or jails, that doesn't seem unusual, but, you know, 38 years ago, it was less common. And so he was a a visionary uh, fellow. And I've been with the group for about three years. And today we have five or 600 dogs in the program, you know, who all live with their families. They're not our dogs. They're just member dogs. And their people uh, volunteer to bring their dogs in to visit in places where dogs are helpful. So we make pre-pandemic, we were making about 2000 visits a year um, to the kind of places you would expect. A lot of nursing homes, retirement homes, hospitals, uh, many, many, many hospice visits, um, jails, schools. We go to 30 libraries around the D.C., Virginia, Maryland area. Um, and we would bring in, you know, four or five dogs. And young readers would sit down with the dogs one-on-one and just read to them. And a time for the kids to gain skills and confidence uh, reading aloud. and 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 a time for them to just interact with dogs in a safe and, you know, a friendly environment, Uh, a time for our people to model how to engage with another species in a, in a 
kind and respectful way. Walk us through um, how someone gets their dog engaged in your program, and then we can talk about the different programs that you do. Right. So, um, you know, they, they reached out and, um, you know, it's rare that I solicit uh, dogs. They, there's a good, a good uh, supply of folks who know about the program and are interested in, in volunteering. So people reach out to us, tell, they tell us a little bit about their dog and, you know, why they think that this would be uh, satisfying and good work for them. And then um, once a month, we have an orientation session where we'll get seven or eight dogs together and their people, and we'll spend 90 minutes or so um, together and just have a chance to see the dogs in a setting that's not unlike a visit and chance to see their people. And, you know, we want to what we're looking for, we're not looking for special skills or training in the dogs or the people. We're looking for dogs and people who are friendly and gentle, um, who enjoy interacting with people. And, you know, an awesome, an awesome therapy dog is hungry for human attention, even when his or her favorite person on the earth is right there. Mm-hmm. And so someone who is a dog who is hungry for the attention of a stranger, right, with their person there. That is really, that's an unusual. That's certainly not every dog, is it? Karen, I, Karen, are you picturing uh, Daisy Sue as much as I am? <laughs> I was picturing Poppy. <laughs> Were you? We're talking about our own dogs, of course, James. Uh, I'm pretty sure you're going to have a couple of volunteers by the end of this conversation. <laughs> that I've observed that uh, my, Daisy Sue is my, um, what the, what the, uh, what is now called the, all-American dog, right? Used to be called a mutt. Daisy, Daisy is a sort of based in Australian Shepherd that has some other stuff. And she, it's so weird as you describe that. That's exactly what I've seen in my dog over and over where it's my joke to be on the street with her when we stop to meet someone uh, and she'll go right over and lean into them and look up at them and want her belly rubbed by a total stranger. And I'll right. say, congratulations, you have a new dog. And I'll pretend to walk away. But like I could, because she just, that's how much she loves everybody. Right, right. Yeah, that's the perfect therapy dog. That's beyond what we ask. You know, what, what we need is are dogs who, you know, are um, yeah, gentle and, and friendly, of course, uh, not aggressive with other dogs, you know, ideally not even when they're provoked. And, you know, because, you know, kids can poke fingers in their eyes and yep. other dogs, you know, may not always be on their total best behavior. And so, so, yeah, we're looking for that. We, we can't have dogs that bark too much. You know, as dog people, I think we understand you know, that some dogs are vocal and we're fine with that. But in some of the settings where we bring them, um, we need dogs that are generally quiet. And mm-hmm. so, so we bring them together for 90 minutes. We, we make our assessment there of how it feels. And if we say yes, and, and the handler, that's what we call their human um, the handler agrees, hey, this, this seems right, then we do two supervised visits where um, the, the new team goes on one of our group visits. Um, we do those generally with just, uh, we don't do them with young children, but we'll do them with teens or college students or adults and do two of those visits. And one of our you know, senior members will um, do a written assessment. And again, it's, we're really just trying to say, hey, are, they, are the dog and the person appropriate? And do they represent us well? 
and um, you know, do we want them on our insurance policy? And so, mm. so that's the process. And once you're in, then you're generally welcome to go on um, any of our visits. And you coordinate, you guys coordinate the, uh, in other words, you're in touch with hospitals and other uh, caregiving facilities. And you work, so you have some kind of arrangement where the volunteers don't have to necessarily worry about the, all the logistics. You guys handle the scheduling. Is that? Absolutely. That's right. So in most cases, I think most of our people uh, are visiting um, in group visits. So they, each of those, each of those group visits has a coordinator who you know, reaches out to a list of people that have expressed interest and says, Hey, we're, we're going this Tuesday. Who's in, you know, we're going to Bridgepoint hospital on Capitol Hill. And, um, and so you don't have to do it yourself. We also have a number of people who just want to visit with their dog by themselves. And we connect them with, you know, for example, uh, when we work with uh, hospice groups, we connect them with the hospice organization's volunteer coordinator who gives, who says to them, okay, here is a hospice patient, you know, in their last uh, weeks or months. And that person is hungry to spend time with a dog uh, or a cat. We have two cats in the program and uh, both enjoy hospice visit. And you've never had, you don't have a, a, an obedience requirement. I've heard about some programs that like, like to, a, a dog to have a canine good citizen certificate or, um, uh, and or be, you know, there's, there's a hygiene aspect too that I'm curious about. Um, I, I looked into volunteering myself with my dog uh, locally with a hospital and there was a bathing requirement uh, which to be honest with you put me off because she hates to be bathed. Right, right. <laughs> so I'm curious about those requirements that I've heard that other organizations have and whether you've looked at those or, or participate in those. Right. Yeah. Some groups require a CGC. Um, we don't. And, you know, some of the, some of the tougher aspects of passing the CGC are not things that are really super relevant for us. Um, Fair point. You know, so but many of our dogs do have the CGC. We think it's we think it's awesome training for for folks, and you know we we're we're glad to hear when they have it. Um, Agreed. And and I do want to tell our listeners who who maybe haven't heard of the Canine Good Citizen, you can take a, a class, which then re- results in uh, if your, if your dog passes the test at the end of the class, they receive a certificate, which I believe is is it endorsed by the American Kennel Club? Is that right? AKC, yeah. Uh, it's yes. AKC certified. Yeah. Um, both my dog, both my dogs have CGCs. I'm just going to brag on them right now. Both of them have it. I'm very proud. I think the course is terrific too. Anyone who's interested in obedience would enjoy a CGC class. That's right. And there's a there's a ten point test that. Um, and it I is think hard. One of them is you you have to be able to like leave your dog, uh, step away for a minute or two minutes, and the dog not move. And those are awesome evidence of you know good training, but not things that really we require. I do like there is an element of the test obviously is relevant. Like um, when one of my dogs was tested, we had to walk by while someone walked in crutches and then dropped a crutch, you know, an unexpected uh, bang or uh, greeting a stranger, that kind of thing. So I see what you're saying. It's a mixed bag. How about the hygiene requirement? Do you work with facilities that require dogs to be squeaky clean or is it generally? I'm, 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 I'm thinking, I don't know that any do. Um, And we go to, we go to many hospitals in the area. We go into the ICU and um, I have, I don't believe any of them have a specific, um, you know, recent bath kind of rule. Yeah. Interesting. Karen, it's not good news because Karen and I both have self-cleaning dogs. <laughs> yeah, sure. We do have self-cleaning dogs, although 
The more I hear about it, I'm thinking that Poppy may not be a candidate for this. I'm sorry. Not maybe, yeah. maybe Boomer though. Boomer. Yeah. Boomer could do it. Yeah. So how do organizations sign up with you? Um, I believe your program is at the library in our neighborhood, the Duncan Library in Alexandria. That's right. So how um, is it word of mouth or do you put out a notice for it? How does someone find you? Uh, I think, you know, sometimes our members, you know, are, sometimes our members initiate it and we encourage our members to look for facilities that are right in their neighborhood, you know, right along their walk, um, because we know that will then they'll be you know very engaged there and but uh, you know a lot of places know about programs and so you know a, li- a children's librarian will find us online or hear about it through word of mouth and reach out you know I I rarely solicit um, places they are gen- generally there's a long list of places that are eager to have you come and. Um, and I have started doing more soliciting in the corrections area just because for whatever reason, when I got, when I got here, we weren't doing any jail type visits. And I know that the roots of the organization were in, you know, bringing dogs into the correction space. So we now visit uh, quarterly at the Arlington County detention facility. And well, again, all pre stay at home and had a, twice monthly visit with inmates at the Montgomery County Correctional Facility. And we also go to two or three schools for kids, um, middle school and high school, who are involved in, in the courts. So they have, they have parole officers and, and they're not, I don't believe they're actually in detention, they, but they're not ready to be back in their own schools. And so they're, so we like to bring dogs into that area. And, so I actually reach out to some of them. Can you talk a little bit, James, about the, um, the I, th- I mean, we're, we're all dog people and we know how, how much dogs improve our lives. Talk a little bit about why this is so appealing to so many different, you know, to, to people uh, who are struggling in life in one way or the other, whether a child is struggling to learn to read, a, um, a person is, uh, an adult perhaps is struggling with a long-term illness, or, or with incarceration, like, can you talk a little bit about what is going on here that, that dogs do for humans? And is this just observational or is there research to back this up? Right, right. I'm sure there is research. I know just, you know, my own experience is how, you know, how calming and awesome it feels to hug a dog or, you know, pet a dog or any animal really. And you know, just to kind of feel that, that connection of, hey, here's another species and we are, you know, we're able to communicate in some way, right? I'm, I'm communicating to this animal that I'm not threatening and that I'm, you know, I am kindred spirit and, you know, that, you know, someone that they can trust. And, um, you know, that's just such a, a nice experience, a soothing experience for most people. And, you know, so many of us are hungry for that. And, you know, these animals, I mean, it's, you know, it's a little bit of a cliche, but, but they are, you know, they're so non-judging, they're so accepting and, you know, their love feels unconditional. And I, I know, I'm not sure if it's exactly what you're asking, but I know sometimes in here, we, we, we actually are brought into into offices, you know, 
government offices or sometimes just businesses who ask us if we'll come in and oftentimes they'll make a donation to the program to fund some of our more kind of typical on mission work. But, you know, I go in there. So like we're in the conference room and there's 40 employees and maybe we have, you know, half dozen or, or more dogs. And, you know, some of the employees, you know, big guys down on the, down on the carpet, you know, talking baby voice to a dog. And it's like, you know, you can't unsee that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, you know, some of his coworkers see him in a new light and, you know, they bond over a shared experience of dogs when they were growing up and, mm-hmm. you know, they have conversations that they didn't have before. And I saw that in the jails, um, where, you know, you saw, Oh, conversations between an inmate and a, and a, a correctional officer as one of them is holding a dog in their arms. Right. And, you know, the, the easy laughing and, you know, nodding and, and this, you know, the sense that, wow, they are, they are sharing an experience um, because of a dog in the room. Fascinating. I, I'm reminded of a, I, I have done a little volunteering at a local nonprofit. This again is in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, it's a, it's a how it's a home that uh, there are two homes that um, help women who are transitioning out of prison. Um, and I went and visited with them on Christmas this year with Daisy, my, my uh, all American dog. Nice. And there was one woman in particular, she was pretty new into the program. So had been incarcerated for a few years and she's in this house with all these other women. She was the youngest there. She was maybe 19. She was so young and she didn't really make eye contact with me. She wasn't really interacting with her housemates. And then something happened with the dog. She felt so comfortable and so connected, even though the humans around her, she clearly was uncomfortable with. So I've, I've seen it. Daisy. You probably have a million of those stories, don't you? I know, right? That's a great example, Jean. James, how did you get into this? You said you've only been with the program for a few years. What what brought you to it and what were you doing before? Yeah, I've had a bunch of jobs in the past. I was an engineer (laughs) by training, but um, for a couple of years before, I was boarding dogs full-time in my apartment. And so I'd have five, six, seven dogs, you know, other people's dogs. I didn't have any of my own. And, um, and I was enjoying that. That was, um, very fun. And, um, my partner, Melanie, um, she had a dog hammy in the program and she was looking at the newsletter and said, Oh, the, the pet visit coordinator is retiring and they're looking for somebody and it was halftime job at the time. And she said, Oh, you ought to look into that. And so I did, that was three and a half years ago. And, um, it's been awesome. Now I'm full time and sadly don't do a lot of uh, boarding. But um, before that, I worked in a um, few years of work in animal advocacy. And then before that, it was boring uh, corporate work. Not boring, but it was corporate <laughs> work. So. I feel like uh, we, I know, I know we wanted to talk, Karen, you launched us into a conversation about uh, reading, the reading program. And I, th- I feel like that's a little different, right, than the sort of therapy dog visits, or, or is it? Tell us about the, the reading, if you will. Yeah, so reading with dogs, you know, I mentioned we go to 30 libraries around the area. And typically there, the children's librarian is hosting the event. You know, they promote it on their website, and their customers come in. And we 
pretty much just bring the dogs and the kids, you know, pair up with the dogs and, um, you know, read for 10 or 15 minutes at a shot. And, and they read out, they read out loud to the dog. Is that they read out loud? That's right. They read out loud and, um, you know, they're typically lots of petting and, and attention to the dog. Often the dogs fall asleep, you know, which huh. doesn't seem to bother the kids. They keep reading. And um, it's really, it's really nice. I think part of the, you know, part of the idea is that kids who, who might be uncomfortable reading in front of their peers, uh-huh. or reading in front of adults, um, you know, that they, they know that the dog isn't going to correct their, their pronunciation or <laughs> if they miss, you know, miss a word. But I think I mean, Savannah would, but um, yeah, that's, my, that's, right. that's my Australian Shepherd. <laughs> um, you know, I think but it's, uh, it's what you said before, though, that, that we know, we know on just a very deep level that the dog is not there. It does not dog is not going to judge. I mean, of course, right. literally the dog will not correct you because the dog doesn't speak, but um, right. the dog that's does right. not judge. And I think, I think a lot of the kids, um, I think they take the assignment of reading to a therapy dog seriously. And you know, they're earnest about it and mm-hmm. they want to read well and, um, you know, they want to, they want to do their best, even though, you know, it's this total, you know, awesome audience, but, um, yeah, so we, you know, we've been doing that for many, many years. And I think most therapy dog groups around the country have a library component because it is, it really is nice. You know, it's really nice. And, so how, how does that work? How many, um, how many dogs would go to the library at a time? You know, it varies. We have some, we have some libraries where it's one dog. You know, I, I think if a bunch of kids show up, then it's more of a time when mayor or the librarian may do more reading or kids may take turns. But typically, typically we would have four or five dogs there. You know, kids would read for maybe 15 minutes and we'll be there for an hour or 75 minutes. And so you know, can get a good group of uh, kids in. And a lot of those places, they have a kind of a faithful audience, you know, of kids who come back, you know, every time that the dogs are there. Nicely there is that the kids actually get to know the dogs and know them by name. And I wonder know. who figured this out. This almost strikes me as like a happy accident in literacy. Karen, do you have any idea? Like you work in education policy like this. It, it had to have been a happy accident, right? Like that they, someone figured this out, that this could help kids learn to read. It's so interesting. I mean, I, I read to my animals as a kid. Did yeah. you? Oh, yeah. Interesting. I, I, I have no doubt that some parent's child read to the dog or cat. Yeah. And somebody said this, there's something going on here. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe uh, a teacher saw it. But we don't do math problems for them. <laughs> Well, you know, maybe you're not trying hard enough. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe maybe you need to engage the uh, Australian Shepherd group. (laughs) So now how has the transition to Zoom gone? How's that working? You know, that so far, we've dabbled with a couple of, you know, uh, of tries in, you know, in some of the other, other types of visits we do. But the, the, the reading to dogs has just worked. I mean, it really works. In part, I think, because the kids have something very specific to do, right? So they're, they're going to, they're, they're reading and, you know, the interaction with the dogs over the screen is, you know, clearly different than the interaction when you have a dog there in person. And, 
you know, that I think dogs have long since learned that there's nothing interesting happening on our laptops. <laughs> the laptops have no scent. <laughs> That's right. And so, or, or whatever the scent is, is probably unpleasant or not engaging. <laughs> right. So I have to admit the part, you know, for this to work awesomely for, you know, for a long time, it's got to work for the dogs too. And it, um, we need to, we're going to have to do, we're doing some work to try to figure out how to make this an awesome experience for the dogs. I mean, they, it's an, it's a half hour with their person, you know, you know sitting it, there and I would think too, it. they, and they're getting, yeah, they're getting a tremendous amount of reward. Those, and like you said, not every dog is suited for this, but dogs who are obviously rewarded by human interaction and human touch. That is very much Karen and I've had a bunch of uh, behaviorists on the show. We've learned a lot about dog training uh, from our friends who are dog tra- professional dog trainers. And we have learned that the, that positive reinforcement, that positive reward is, is, uh, is how, you, how you train a dog. So I can definitely picture that a dog who's rewarded by human touch would be just as excited by uh, going to their weekly visit to the library as they would, for example, by uh, stopping by <laughs> the storefront where they know that the shopkeeper gives out biscuits, <laughs> right? Like they know good stuff happens there. That's right. And, you know, there's not many dogs that whose owner gives them an hour of nonstop attention a day, mm. you know, but when you go to the library, you're going to get an hour of nonstop. Now, it, when, when we flip to the virtual world, it's, it's not, it's not as cl- clear how the dog is benefiting. And so, you know, it really puts more of the onus on the handler to, to make this, uh, you know, an interesting interesting event for the child and that it feels to the child like they expected it to feel, you know, with the dog. And so, and we're, you must be hoping to get back there as soon as you can and figure out how to do this safely. Right. We are, we are. Yeah. I think our person experience. Yeah. Our folks are anxious to get back. Um, At the same time, I suspect we will keep a virtual reading program even when the dogs are back in the library. Do you book your virtual program through the library or is it a child books it or a family books it directly through you? How does that work? Right now the, we're doing it just directly. So, you know, parents go to our website and sign up and the, um, the sessions fill up quickly. We're, we're doing our best to accommodate the demand, but, but there are many, many more kids who want to do it than, we're, we are right now able to do. Um, so we are doing six days a week. We do 40 kids. Wow. They're for a half hour each, which that means we have 40 dogs engaged, you know, um, you know, uh, 40 dogs a day. So can you take more dogs? We can, you know, it's, um, we need, we, we, we will right now we're, that is, three or four hours of um, sessions a day. And there's only so many hours a, a day that we can work, work on it. So it, it, the, doing it online, right now it requires two additional volunteers to, one of them we call the chatty host, who is just kind of the MC of the event, right? And so, so 10 kids log in at a time, 10 dogs log in. And so, you know, you got 20, 20 screens up and, we have one, this, the, the, the role that we call the chatty host is, you know, welcoming kids and explaining what's going to happen and that sort of thing. And then we have somebody who is operating the, 
Zoom platform. And specifically, what we use is Zoom has a breakout room function. Yep. You can divide your meeting. You can subdivide the, your audience into sub-meetings. And so, you know, what we'll do is we'll create 10 breakout rooms and then pair up a dog and a reader in, in each room. And that, you know, and then, you know, they go off, they read for, let's say, 12 minutes. We bring everybody back for a couple minutes. And then we pair the kids up with a different dog and do it again. And, um, and then all come together at the end. So we need a couple of people to, to kind of run each one. And our organization, I'm the only, I'm the only staff member, you know, so it's all, uh, you know, it's heavily volunteer time. We would love to, we would love to do more, but right now we are, we feel we are running hard to, to have 40 a day. Who supports this effort? I mean, and, and we're happy to allow you to give a, a plug for fundraising too, because I mean, all this, all this takes money at some level, right? How, who's, your, you don't need to tell us who your sponsors you know, are, but like what type, you know, what type right. of, is it more in like a, a lot of individuals or a few foundations? I'm curious about. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, there are a handful of foundations who provide important help for us. Um, the handlers themselves, you know, um, pay a fee to join, which helps. Um, and we do, we do some solicitation, you know, we try to run lean, but, you know, still we have a, you know, we have real expenses, you know, insurance, my time, um, software licenses and things. So we would of course welcome anyone who wants to help. And our you know website is peopleanimalslove.org. And we would of course welcome it. How much do handlers pay to participate? Today they pay a hundred dollars to join one time. Sounds very fair. The insurance aspect is interesting to me, and I hope you've never had to use it. Uh, we, we have not. Yes, awesomely. 40 years, no, no claims. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Now, I've got one other question. Who chooses the book? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, the way we do it right now, the child provides the book and, and reads it. Um, I am intrigued by the idea of, of um, us putting the content up on, you know, like Zoom has a share screen feature. And so I like the idea of us putting the content up. You know, we're not a literacy organization. Our group is about the bond between humans and animals. We are delighted that literacy, that, that, that there's an overlap with the interests, uh, interests of literacy because then we're invited into libraries and have access to their customers and so on. But our bag is around strengthening this bond between animals and people. And, and using the bond to, well, our mission, it's delightful. It's, um, it's to use the human-animal bond to do three things, to um, brighten the lives of the lonely, ease the pain of the sick, and enrich the world of at-risk children. That's so, wonderful. Yeah, as missions go, it's, it's that's elegant. That's a good one. Yeah. That's amazing. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's what, what we're about. And, um, and it gives us really, it gives us latitude to do a variety of things, but you know, but right now it's connecting dogs with kids online. So I think it's interesting that the handlers pay a fee, but the libraries don't. Yeah. Um, some of that I think is just, that's kind of the program that I inherited. I think over time I would like to, I'd like to set something up where the groups that we go to regularly, um, you know, are, are more supportive financially. Some of the groups we, some of the places we go do make donations, um, 
but other ones, I think it's kind of a history of it. Um, and I think too, when, when the organiz when, when years ago, when the organization was smaller, it could be run entirely vo volunteer, you know, no paid staff. By the time you get to 500 dogs and you're doing 2000 visits a year, you know, it's, there's not many groups who would be able to do that with no one on no one, you know, accountable who's being paid to be accountable. Um, and I have to admit part of the challenge I think is, you know, some of the nationwide groups, uh, therapy dog groups that have chapters in various cities, you know, they have 25, 30,000 dogs. So they are of a scale that they can have offices and staff and, you know, paid people. And, and I think in many, many, you know, there's hundreds of groups like ours around the country. I think many of them have maybe 50 dogs and they are entirely volunteer run. We're at an awkward scale, I think, you know, five, 600 dogs, too big to be all volunteer, but it's a little bit of a financial struggle to be able to, to pay a, a full-time staff member. I mean, unless you're going to lean heavily on your, your handlers, um, which nobody wants to do. And, and to be honest, it's nice to be able to offer a free service to places to say, hey, we're going to come and it costs you nothing. I think that you're located in an interesting part of the country, right? I mean, we're, we're in the Washington, D.C. area as well. And it strikes me that this is a very service-oriented community. I mean, a lot of people come to Washington because they want to make the world a better place. Um, they, they, a lot of them work in government or serve in the military. And there's, it's a, there's a very, there's a real um, culture of service in Washington. And I wonder if that's what, part of the reason that you have perhaps a bigger than average uh, local program. Would you encourage our listeners to, um, who could be anywhere in the country to look at both if they'd like to be volunteers? Would they, should they look at both local and national groups? I think so. You know, the national groups have got, they have some nice things that they can do, you know, of being of that scale. I think they also, they, they tend to be more rule-based. You know, they have, they have learned over time that they need to put in place, you know, more rules. Some of them have like a two foot rule, for example, that dogs can't get within two feet of each other. Okay. Um, you know, that would be very sad on some of our visits. You know, we have some off leash visits and, and where we delight in watching the dogs play together. Mm -hmm. And so, but my hunch is those groups learned some of those lessons the hard way and, you know, just chose, Hey, we need to put more rules out and, but the, the big groups are cool. And I think, you know, if you, if you join one and you end up moving, you, there's a chance there's a chapter in the place, you know, the next place you go. It's been awesome now is, you know, a, a number of our folks have moved away in the last year or two and they are able now to join us again online for mm -hmm. these reading sessions. So oh, that is great. Isn't that fun? I just got off the call, you know, where we had a group of kids and one of our members who had moved to Belgium he was, she and her dog were on. It was so nice to see them. And, These little silver linings, right? It really was, yeah. Well, gosh, it has been fascinating speaking with you, James. I mean, this is just such a great program, and we're so incredibly grateful that you were willing to spend a little bit, bit of time with us today. My pleasure. So we'll definitely have the links to um, People Animals Love in, uh, in the bio of this episode, and we'll also promoted on PawsGo's Facebook and Instagram pages. So maybe you'll get some more volunteers and hopefully some cash. 
That'd be great. Thank you. Well, James, we told you uh, before we start our conversation that we do end each episode with a pause up, something we've seen that is dog related that, that uh, makes us feel good that we want to give kind of a shout out to, kind of a high five in paw form. Right. Uh, is there anything you want to share as part of that segment? And Karen and I can go first if you're still thinking about no, it. No, no, no. Yeah, I haven't heard the pause up, but I like, um, I, was, I was thinking about last night, my neighbor, um, you know, we have been it's socially distant, of course, but we sometimes have drinks or dinner out front in, in our yards. And she has these two sweet little dogs who, um, they just make me feel so good. You know, they, they run up tails <laughs> wagging and are just so excited to see me and just lifts my spirits when that happens. And I'm just, I'm grateful that there's a species out there that is as in love with us as we are with them. Pause up well, for that. Well, very well said. Karen, how about you? What's your pause up this week? Well, you know, I've said since the beginning of this uh, horrible pandemic and our sheltering in place, thank God for the dogs because yeah. they are, you know, unconditional love, keep me entertained mm -hmm. and definitely keep me active. I mean, we're walking the dogs and running with the dogs and hiking with the dogs an awful lot these days. And uh, my pause up is for an article that I read in the New York Times that said that people who are staying physically active while sheltering um, in place are less depressed and more mentally resilient than those who aren't. And what a great way to get out and get active than with our dogs. So pause up for being physically active and staving off some of that anxiety and depression that's coming with this pandemic. Hallelujah, and pause up. Well, so Karen, before uh, we started recording this show today, I thought, oh, how lovely that I have a reason to go and search for news with the term dog, right? I did, because I was looking for a good pause up in the news. You're doing your homework on the bus, Gene? Exactly, I was doing my homework on the bus. Um, but it was a nice, you know, I'd taken a break from my other work and said, all right, I, I've how nice to go to Google, Google search news and, and see what, what fun stories come up. Of course, they're not, you know, dog stories are not always uh, positive, but I, today I was particularly delighted to see multiple articles about with tips on preparing your dog to be left at home when you, when one returns to work. So if you've been working from home or, um, or not working, and then it's time, and you've been with your dog 24-7. This is, we've already, we've interviewed one of our behaviorist friends I mean, about this. I up for us, Jean. I know, we're ahead of the curve, right? Like, we did a show we about that. We did that six and, weeks ago. And now I see, for example, there is a New York Times article that just posted one day ago. So we were, we were ahead of this. But, um, but, I'm, but generally speaking, I'm glad to see that media outlets are aware of this. They're writing about it. They're putting good tips out there because... This will be an issue, as we've discussed, for uh, potential separation anxiety when life goes back to what is normal and probably welcome for us. That could be a difficult transition time for our dogs. So I love to see that the media is putting out some education on that topic. Pause up. Pause up. I'm still going to give us the first pause up. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we were we cutting were edge on that, Gene. We were so ahead of the curve. Yes, we were. So and I encourage our listeners, if they haven't listened to that episode with Sandy Modell about separation anxiety, uh, it's very helpful, whether, frankly, whatever your situation, because uh, dogs 
dogs can be, I can have, my dogs can have separation anxiety when I go to the grocery store. So it's, a, it's an important, important thing to work on. Well, James, thank you so much for being here today. We absolutely loved hearing about the work you do. Um, we, we, we certainly appreciate and, uh, you know, the, the deep and inherent beauty of it. And, uh, you know, can't wait to, frankly, I can't wait to volunteer with you guys. <laughs> like I'm there, I'm there. So I hope, I hope for enough normalcy in the world that Daisy soon I can join you guys. Do it soon. online, Jean. Yeah. I mean, all right. I'll, and James, I'll... your your really cool Posgo t-shirts in the mail, so you should be getting it for weekend wear. Thank you. Right. So thank you. Thanks for being with us. Karen, always fun to have this conversation with you. I'll see you around the neighborhood. Indeed, walking our dogs. Thank you, Claude. Thank you, Claude Jennings, the best pause producer up to in Claude. Pod... <laughs> always pause up to Claude, the best producer in podcasting. Till next Bye, time, everyone. everyone. Bye-bye. Bye bye.